Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Praise the Lord. We've uh, been talking about the shed blood of Jesus over the last several weeks, and it's just been a great study uh, for me personally. I think just before Easter, kind of preparing my heart, preparing uh, just for the celebration that is Resurrection Sunday. You know, uh, uh, it is, we, we celebrate it all year long, right? We, we're so, so thankful. We sing about it all the time. We're so thankful for the fact that Jesus rose from the grave and what he did for us on the cross. But this is a time of year that we just kind of hone in and maybe remember it a little bit more. Uh, we talked about how the power of life itself is in the blood. That's kind of how I started off this series. And how the shed blood of Jesus has the power to atone. That was the next week. Atone meaning to cover our sin. And then we talked about how the blood of Jesus shed on the cross has the power to heal. How many are thankful for his healing power, the healing power that's found in the blood of Jesus Christ? Well, there's about five of you. I mean, amen. I know it's Iowa. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> and then last week we talked about the power that is in the shed blood of Jesus to deliver us from the bondages we find ourselves in. And we don't have to be enslaved to Egypt, church, because the shed blood of Jesus has the power to deliver us, and we covered that. And if you missed any of those messages, get in them and listen to them. There's a lot of study that went into it, and I think they'll be beneficial for you. But one of the things I've been doing as we go through these messages is to kind of trace back through the Old Testament and show at least a little bit of the typology and symbolism that's between the animal blood sacrifices required by the Mosaic law and the once and for all sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And kind of showing you how that Mosaic law and those sacrifices and the blood that was shed back then points to a better sacrifice later. And I, I think we've been doing that almost every, uh, every one of these messages, and this is week five. And, and, I, and on week five, I wanna switch gears just a little bit because we're not going to talk about the sacrifices of the Old Testament and how they point to the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus made. We're not gonna talk about that this morning. And the reason is, is that all of those Old Testament atoning sacrifices combined could never accomplish what is the shed blood of Jesus, what the shed blood of Jesus has accomplished. We're, I'm gonna take it to the next level, in other words. The blood has the power, the shed blood of Jesus has the power to transform. In the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices served as the means by which they gained the position of being in right standing with God. But at best, as we've said, it was a temporary fix. The sacrifices had to keep happening to stay in that place of right standing with God. Hebrews 10, one through two kind of shows this really well. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The Old Testament wasn't, th those sacrifices weren't the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. The old blood covenant of the Old Testament 
And by the way, that's what testament means. It means covenant. So when we say Old Testament, we're saying Old Covenant, that old agreement, the Mosaic Law, the law given to Moses when he went and got the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, when he got them from God and then he gave them to the Israelites. That's the Old Covenant, right? But that old blood covenant is inferior to the new blood covenant. It's inferior to it. We've already uh, read the scripture in this series, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, but the blood sacrifices of animals had no ability to do what the blood sacrifice of Jesus accomplished. In his shed blood, again, there is power to transform. And when I say transform, here's a good definition of it. To make a thorough or dramatic change as in a a metamorphosis. Turn to your neighbor and say metamorphosis. Turn to your other neighbor and say, that's fun to say. (laughs) Metamorphosis, to transform. When we hear that word metamorphosis, we often think of a a, a little caterpillar, fuzzy caterpillar, cute little thing with all those legs, and we kind of, you know, and then it makes a, kind of rub it, right? Pet that little caterpillar. Anybody pet a caterpillar before? And then we put it in a jar, and it makes a cocoon, right? And then it comes out a, a beautiful butterfly. A beautiful butterfly. Yeah, as we all know. I love that movie. That's what we think of with metamorphosis. But that's transformation, to make a thorough or dramatic change. To change. So the blood of Jesus has the power to make a thorough and even dramatic change in us. Not just to atone, not just to cover up our sin, even though it does, but it it goes beyond that and it changes us. The old system never did that. The new system can completely do that. See, we're on a perpetual journey of metamorphosis. We're changing all the time. That change never stops. And even though the Jews were able to make atonement through, again, the sacrifice of animals, those sacrifices fell completely short in having power to transform. And I've said that three times now, but I want you to get it. It couldn't transform a life. Yes, they could go with their animal. They could get it sacrificed. You know, they would sacrifice it for their sins year after year after year after year. But the transformation inside them never occurred. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross not only has the power to atone and get us into right standing with God once and for all, it literally has the power to transform us into new creations. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. They are new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I'm so thankful I'm looking out on this congregation this morning, and so many of you aren't the same person that you were before. You're different. You've been transformed, and you're still in the transformation process. I love that, to see the change. Many of you didn't, well, most of you didn't know me before I was saved. I don't think any of you did, including my wife. But I was not this person. I was different I'm so thankful that there's the transforming power of the blood of Jesus Christ that's been applied to my life because I don't want to be the guy that I used to be, and I'm not the guy I used to be. I can look back 30, 40 years and go, that guy doesn't exist anymore. Thank God, because you didn't want to know him. 
You didn't want to know him. I'm a new creation, and you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ and you've applied the blood to your life, you are a new creation. I've heard that before, Pastor Barry. I'm sorry, but some of you aren't woke up this morning. You are a new creation. I mean, come on, church. You're different. You're not that same old pile you used to be. Pile of what? You fill in the blank. The old system had no power to do this. Romans 8, 3 through 4 says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end, an end, an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. That's change, church. That's transformation. That's not being like the person you were before. And I, got, I just want you to understand this. The power of the shed blood of Christ takes us further into, into right standing with God than all of the other sacrificial blood that was shed combined. Take it all, combine it all from, from way back then till they're still doing it today. Take it all, pile it up. I don't know how much volume that would be, but it would be massive. All of it together doesn't have the power of what one drop of Jesus' blood can do in our lives. His blood can literally transform us. Now, y'all know that we are a triune being, right? We're body, soul, and we're spirit. His blood can transform every part of our being. And I think that's so exciting and so wonderful. Number one, the blood transforms our body. This thing. Everybody pat your body. I walked into the bistro this morning and a girl named Wendy who waitresses, who I won't mention her last name so you don't know who it is, but <laughs> I mean, she elbowed me right in the body, right here. She didn't know it. She, she didn't know I was standing next to her. This is our body. It's our shell. How does that, how, how does blood that was shed nearly 2,000 years ago have anything to do with this body? This shell that houses our soul and our spirit, how can it have power to transform our bodies? Well, let me put the answer to this in the framework of past, present, and future. I want you to know that the day I gave my heart to Christ, talking about the past here, okay, something changed in me. Something internal changed in me that brought forth an external change. And maybe my physical countenance wasn't changed on that day as dramatically as some of you may have experienced the day you gave your heart to Christ. But nonetheless, something internally changed that caused my external being to change, physically speaking. And as the result of the internal change that Christ was doing in me, that, that was really the reason it was going on. And, and I think this is a pretty common thing. People who are especially... Uh, those who are radically saved, they look different, sometimes almost instantly. I've been at the altars enough, I've, I've led enough people to the Lord to know that when they lay their burdens down, it's like a weight comes off of them. 
and it's a weight that you can often physically see in their demeanor. There's a physical change. I've seen uh, some of you literally walk through these doors, a total hot mess. And then upon meeting Christ and submitting your life to him, change, physically, occurs. And the more time you spend in God's presence and letting him change you from the inside out, the more outward change there is. There's all sorts of change, physically speaking, to this body. We begin to look different. Let's, and let's face it, hard living shows up in your body. Sin can and does take a toll on our physical shell. There's no doubt. And the longer we stay in that sin, and the more, it's the more damage we allow to cause, it, cause our physical bodies to, to take the more we can see the transformation that has brought about the blood of Jesus being applied to their lives. So what I'm saying is, the more physical damage that we allow ourselves to this body because of our sin, because of our refusal to apply the blood of Jesus and have that transformation start occurring, the more dramatic the change is when we finally do come to Christ. And some of those people are the ones you see the most. I mean, I've seen people, and I don't, I don't even think it's necessarily I've seen demon-possessed people, and I'm not necessarily even talking about that, but I've seen people at these altars whose face completely changed as they gave their heart to Christ. They were different physically. They looked different. Do you know what I'm talking about? Let me give you an example. Bitterness can cause physical decay. I can prove it. Think of a bitter old man or a bitter old woman. Just picture it in your mind. What do you see? Why do you see that? Because there's a physical aspect to bitterness, to living there, to letting that control them. It, 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 it sits on them and it, it weighs on them and it makes them look a certain way. When we live in bitterness, it eats away and can cause physical, visible physical changes we know it causes spiritual decay. We know that. But it also causes physical decay. So in the past, applying the blood of Jesus in our lives changed us physically. In the present, continuing to apply the blood of Jesus is changing us physically. I want to point, first, or point to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. When we live our lives with the blood applied, when we live the saved life, we understand that our body is the very temple of the Holy Spirit. God himself lives within us. Knowing and understanding this keeps us from violating that temple, this temple, with sinful things. That keeps and continually transforms our bodies into bodies that will glorify God. I, I think about that. When you come up against some kind of temptation that, that you might, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's something else. I, I, I'm not gonna get into what those things are. But if you think about it in reference to your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit, hopefully that changes your course. Hopefully that, that tells you, stop, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna go there. This specific verse, um, right before it, Paul was talking about sexual immorality. 
specifically. I'm not going to do that because it will, I, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to allow myself to fall into that, whatever it might be, sin-wise. So past and present, what about future? Well, that's easy. The transformation that our, our bodies will experience as we continue to apply the blood to our lives in the sense of remaining in relationship with him, it's laid out so clearly in Scripture. Again, the blood has the power to transform our bodies, past, present, future. Here we go, future. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on, the immort- puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I read this verse all the time during funerals of those that, that pass away that are believers. Because there's a day coming when even if we bury that body, even if the dust from that body or the ashes from that body are scattered to the four winds, even if that body is, is at the bottom of the ocean in just small little particles, the word of God is clear. When he comes back with that trumpet blast, the dead in Christ will rise first and those old bodies will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye into a new body that is imperishable and immortal. That's transformation. So, past, he changes us physically. Present, he's changing us physically. And in the future, our bodies will be changed physically. Transformation. None of those blood sacrifices of animals had the power to do that. But the shed blood of Jesus, it has the power to transform this body. And if that's not transformation, I don't know what is. Number two, the blood transforms our soul. Our soul is that part of us that makes up our mind, our will, and our emotions. We talk about this often. This is the part of you that makes you, you. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're you. And just for fun, turn to your neighbor and say, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. We were singing that song this morning. Some of you were like, are they they speaking in tongues or what? That's an awesome truth, isn't it? I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Love that. And that fits in with this. He transforms our soul. Every one of us is different. And let me say this. No personality test, no Enneagram test can tell you who you are. They're fun and they are very insightful. I'm not saying they're not useful, but every one of us is incredibly and intricately unique. And no test can tell you exactly who you are. It has been said that the mind is the devil's playground. This is where vain imaginations are born, this is where they're nurtured, and this is where they grow up until they become fully matured lies that we believe. In our soul, in our mind, Our wills, 
our free wills that don't like authority. We don't like anyone telling us what to do or how to do it, do we? We love the control and the ability to do and say whatever we want. We don't like to bridle our tongue and be held back by anything. I say it like it is. Yeah, sometimes that's a, that's a cover-up for I don't want to submit to anything or, or anybody. Strong-willed people blazing our own trails. I did it my way, right? I hate that song. <laughs> Somebody should change that. I did it God's way, right? Our emotions, from our deep, true love for others to our unbridled indifference to their plights, from our bubbling over happiness to our fits of rage, anger, from our deepest depression to our joy, unspeakable joy, from our envy of others to our most gripping fears, our emotions have a pretty wide spectrum, church. Our mind, our will, our emotions. This is our soul. And they are, our emotions, they're, they're a gift from God so that we can know him more intimately, yet they become our worst enemy when we allow them to be our source of truth rather than God himself. In other words, emotions lie to you. They can lie to you. Not always, but they can. And let's be real, if there's any part of us that needs transformation, it's our soul, it's our mind, our will, and our emotions. Hear me, there's power in the blood to transform. We don't have to be subject to the lies that are produced within our souls. There's freedom, church. There's total freedom. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is as good and acceptable and perfect. Upon the acceptance and submission to the truth of the blood of Jesus, the blood applied to your life, there's a transformation that occurs as a result of your mind being renewed. You literally, literally think differently. Your worldview changes. Your self-image changes. You switch political parties. Did I say it out loud? I don't know. That's not true. Maybe it is. <laughs> I did that, someone says. That wasn't in my notes. That, that, was, I, I blurred. that was a blurt. Sometimes I have problems blurting. Anybody got a book on blurting? Maybe I should read that. Your thought life changes, and you are transformed. Transformed. Mind, will, and emotions, they change. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. It's interesting that this verse deals with the will, this Romans 12 too, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Discern or decide properly, that's discernment, decide properly which path may be your own stubborn will or which path is truly the will of God for our lives. The blood applied brings you to a place in your heart where you no longer want your own will, but you desire his will for your life. As I said, quoted Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. The blood has power to transform us in such a way that we are willing to exchange our will for his. Have you experienced that? 
I don't want what Barry wants. I want what God wants. That's a great place to live. I don't always score a perfect 100 on that one. How about you? But to strive for that all the time, to push ourselves for that and to that. Emotionally transformed. Can can his shed blood do that? The blood he shed 2,000 years ago, can it transform our emotions today? Because that would be pretty awesome if that's possible. And the answer is yes. Understand it's a process. Theologically, we call this sanctification, which is the process by which we become Christ-like. We start to think differently. We start, our thought process is different. We don't believe the lies we used to believe, and truth begins to reign in us as we read his word and we spend time with him, and we get to know who he is, and we have a relationship with him. He changes us from the inside out, and it changes our emotions, sometimes instantaneously on some things, and sometimes through years of intimate relationship with Christ. Everyone's emotions need to be transformed into the image of Christ, right? Can, can I say, if, if you're somebody who maybe needs that more than others, I'm not saying everybody doesn't need it, but maybe that's a weak area for you that the devil really likes to attack you in your emotions, then you need to get busy spending time and, and getting, that, getting in the presence of God and letting him help you relearn Christ displayed in his life here on earth all of the emotions that we could ever deal with. He laughed when he was full of joy and happiness. He wept when he felt sorrow. He dealt with fear when he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He felt rejection when his own father turned his back on him as he became sin for us. He felt anger in the temple when he turned over tables and used a whip to chase out the money changers. I mean, Jesus felt it all. I'm sure he felt joy and happiness as the little children came up and sat in his lap. And he said, let the little children come unto me. He was putting his arms around him. He was smiling. I think he told jokes. You can't hang out with a bunch of disciples walking around and not tell a few jokes around the fire, right? You name the emotion and Jesus felt it. And he felt it and experienced it while never sinning in it. He always prayed through, and of course he eventually bled for it. The transformation emotionally that most of us need from time to time is that we keep those emotions in check. The blood gives us that ability. And these emotions become gifts to us that give us a deeper, richer, and more intimate relationship with Christ rather than becoming curses that control us and lead us down roads of deception as we feel and experience those emotions. Tricky. But that's why we need the presence of God in our lives. I believe that the crown of thorns upon Jesus' head was significant and that it represents the pain inflicted within our mind, our will, and our emotions. He wore a crown. He bled from every one of those thorns, piercing his brow and piercing his scalp. And that blood has the power to transform your mind. He wore that. He bled for you so you wouldn't have to stay up all night worrying about it. So you wouldn't have to live with anxiety and fear and the what ifs. And all those emotional things that 
bear down on us, especially when we're going through hard situations. The blood has the power to transform your mind, your will, and yes, even your emotions. So the blood has the power to transform our bodies, has the power to transform our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And three, the blood transforms our spirit. The blood of animals could not bring about spiritual life with us, or within us, but the blood of Jesus did. There was no transformation, no regeneration, no being saved, no being born again from animal sacrifices. This was only possible through the shed blood of Jesus. Consider this, before the cross, heaven was an impossibility for anyone who died. Nobody that died went to heaven before the cross. No matter how good they were. That's a pretty strong statement because that means Adam and Eve, Abel, Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, none of the judges that died, not King David or King Solomon or any of the kings that God ordained to be king, none of the prophets that died, no one. The Bible says that their faith was counted to them as righteousness, and those that were righteous because of their faith, they avoided hell when they died. They went to a place called paradise, which was not heaven. It wasn't a place of suffering per se either, but it it wasn't heaven either. It wasn't either one. Jesus went to hell, and after he died, he paid the price for sin, past, present, and future, and he set the captives free. Those whose faith had been attributed to them as righteousness were released from from, from that holding place that is called paradise within the word of God, and allowed them to enter heaven. So after Jesus died on the cross, and that sacrifice, that once and for all sacrifice was made, when his blood was shed, that pure blood, that which the animals could never do, it gave all of those whose faith was accounted to them as righteousness access to heaven once and for all. When he set the captives free, what took place? Pretty awesome thought, because that would have been a lot of people, right? Presumably. Animal blood could not transform their spirit. Being good enough didn't have the power to do it either, And and, and a dead spirit within an individual is an automatic disqualification from heaven. It took, and it still takes, the shed blood of Jesus and him only. That's why we're, we, we say it the way, way it is, kind of. There's only one road. There's only one path to heaven. It's through the blood of Jesus. It alone has the power to transform our spirit from being dead to being alive. John 3, 5 through 6 says this. Jesus answered, truly, truly, which is, you know, whenever I see that in the Bible, or verily, verily, I always think Jesus is actually saying, how many times do I got to tell you this stuff? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And this is taken from the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't understand when Jesus said no one would see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so Jesus explained it in more detail for him right there. It's a total transformation from dead to alive, and that coming alive occurs when a heart submits to Christ. They become born again, when they give up their own self-efforts and they come underneath the shed blood of Jesus. This is what transforms a sinner to a saint, an abuser into a lover of people, 
a victim into a victor, a thief into a giver, a person full of bitterness into a person full of betterness, a selfish person into a selfless person, a murderer into a martyr. I don't care how you say it, it's total transformation. It's dead to alive. The transformation is unbelievable and really can't be understood by those who have refused to experience it. It's a metamorphosis. It's a thorough and dramatic change in an individual that is unexplainable except for the blood of Jesus that's been applied to their life. I want you to write this down. Make a note in your phone. Pull out a pen. Mark it in your Bible. But I want you all to read Hebrews chapter 10 sometime this afternoon. For those that have been following this series in the blood, I believe that it'll have a deeper meaning to you than it's ever had before. Read it, meditate on it, read it again, read it slowly. You'll be like, wow, I, I understand that better because of what we've been going over the last five weeks. But my challenge for you today is this. Have you experienced the transforming power of the blood of Jesus? If not, Maybe it's because you've never applied it to your life. And by applying it, I mean first receiving it as the blood sacrifice for your sins. Jesus died and hung, on, he hung and died on a cross for you. I often have said this, maybe I haven't said it in a while, but I've often said this in the past, if you were the only person to ever have existed on the face of this earth, Jesus would have still came and he would have died for you. He loved you that much. You're an individual that he cares about deeply. The Bible says he has the number of your hairs. He knows the number of them. He has them numbered. He knows everything about you. He knit you together when you were still within your mother. He loves you with an everlasting love. Someone's getting the sports scores there. He loves you with an everlasting love. He cares about you as an individual. And the fact that he bled, I just, on the altar of the cross, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that we were on his mind. That what we would go through, and I, I can't imagine the weight of the world situation their sin issue, the weight of that, all of it from then till now, past, present, future, weighing on him. But he willfully and willingly did it. And all it is is a gift for you. It's your pass to heaven. We're making reservations for the Great Friday Experience. If you haven't made your reservation, you need to. It's important. We're talking about making reservations for that. What about your reservation for heaven? This is how you do that. You apply the shed blood of Jesus and you say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I need your blood to make me whole. I need your blood to forgive me of my sins. I need your blood sacrifice 
to get me in right standing with you. I receive it. I accept it. It's a gift, and it's a gift uh, that uh, has to be accepted, has to be taken. You may be in here this morning, and you've never accepted that gift. Well, this is your day, because I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept it. Maybe it's been a long time since you've experienced the transformation power. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's a one-time thing, by the way. Well, I've been, I've been changed for a long time. I got changed back in 1945, 52, 65, whatever it is. And he changed me back then, and I'm still that same guy. Are you? I think we need to be in the process of always transforming. Always transforming. It's been a long time since you've noticed transformation power working in you. You you get back into that by receiving it again and again, the applied blood of Jesus. By spending time in his word, by praying or just worshiping him in song or in silence. Last week, I I mentioned the first Passover lamb was brought into the home on the 10th day until the 14th day before it was sacrificed. And I I mentioned this because it implies that they had a relationship with this lamb. We need to be in constant relationship with the lamb of God. That's Jesus. That's how we continue to apply the blood. We stay in relationship with him. We apply the blood every time we take communion, church, which is what we're going to be doing next week on Easter Sunday. It's the other ordinance of the church. We, for, for several years, we've been doing baptisms. That's an ordinance of the church. The other ordinance of the church that we recognize here in the Assemblies of God is communion, and we're going to be doing that. And it's going to be a special time of communion and remembrance of all that he has done for us through his shed blood on the cross, and then we'll wrap up this series by celebrating his resurrection and absolute defeat of death itself. But this morning, again, I want to give you an opportunity to apply the blood by making your way to the front today. There's a song I had listed up there to play, and I I hope they got that, and they're ready for that. Would you bow your heads this morning, and it's only quarter after 11, not even, boy, if you left right now, you wouldn't just beat the Baptist to the buffet, you'd... You'd beat the Methodists to McDonald's. You'd beat the Presbyterians to Popeye's chicken. You'd beat, yeah, we could go on and on. Plenty of time this morning to apply the blood. And if you've never done that before, this can be your day to start. If you have done that before, but transformations become slow and muddy, this can be your day. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.